Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, so we've made it through the nine first commandments, and this is the 10th. And I've just really enjoyed this series. Uh, And today we're going to look at the last commandment. And the last commandment is you shall not covet. And it goes on and gives a list of things that you shall not covet. And basically this list is saying you shall not covet anything, right? It's not just saying you shall not, you shall not covet those things, but anything other than that you can covet. No, that's, that's obviously not an exhaustive list. It is saying you shall not covet anything. And so um, hopefully by the end of this message, Uh, we will all leave knowing that covetousness is the sinful desire to fill the God-shaped hole in our hearts with anything other than Christ. Let Let me say that again. Covetousness is the sinful desire to fill the God-shaped hole in our hearts with anything other than Christ. So, Let's talk a little bit about what coveting is, what coveting is not. And the first thing that I want to point out is that the 10th commandment is not prohibiting having desires. Okay, we could not be humans if we didn't have desires. It is normal, it is natural to have desires. And the 10th commandment is not prohibiting us having desires. The 10th commandment is not prohibiting, prohibiting us from seeking to get a better job to seeking to make more money. The 10th commandment is not prohibiting uh, the desire to have children. It is not prohibiting the desire to to have a family. It is not prohibiting any form of, uh, no, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. It is not prohibiting sexual desire or sexual intimacy. It is not prohibiting us wanting something good. It is not prohibiting us wanting uh, uh, or, or having desires. So for example, Um, Paul was writing to Timothy and he wrote in his first letter to Timothy uh, um, that one of the reasons he left him in Ephesus was because there were false teachers in Ephesus. And one of the things that these false teachers, teachers would do was they were prohibiting people from enjoying the things that God had created, right? Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 3, he's talking about these false teachers and he says that they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So if someone comes and tries to keep you from enjoying God's gifts just for the sake of, you know, just... I don't know, whatever weird uh, uh, reason that they give you and say, you cannot get married or you have to abstain from certain foods or you cannot enjoy the things that God created. You can say, well, actually, I don't think that's what the 10th commandment is teaching. I don't think that's what God would want us to do. God wants us to enjoy the things that he has created. Okay, so the 10th commandment is not prohibiting having a desire for the things that he has created. That is, a, that is a natural human uh, um, char- characteristic that we all have. 
Uh, the 10th commandment is not prohibiting the enjoyment of God's creation. Rather, the 10th commandment is helping protect or set boundaries on the good gifts that God has given, right? When we talk about uh, the commandment on adultery, we talked about how the commandment on not committing adultery is protecting a something good that God created, which is marriage, right? And in this case, this commandment is protecting and setting boundaries around the good things that God has created so that we can enjoy them in a way that we do not fall into idolatry or in a way that we do not fall into murder or theft or false testimony, right? Because if you think about it, this last commandment, right? The last of the 10, sometimes it can be a little bit weird, right? Like all of those seem so great, right? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Those, those seem so big. And then you get to the, to the 10th commandment and to some people it might seem like, oh, you shall not covet. That, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, it's all just happening here in my heart. It's just happening in my mind. I'm not harming anyone else. But the 10th commandment is there at the very end because when, the, when coveting is fulfilled, when coveting is brought to fruition, it results in murder. It results in theft. It results in, in bearing false witness. It results in idolatry. And even if it doesn't result physically in those things, the 10th commandment is showing us that all of us have committed those sins in our heart. They might, we, we, we may have not murdered anyone in, you know, in, in real life, or we may have not committed adultery in, in, you know, physically in real life, but in our hearts, all of us have broken God's law. So covetousness is a sinful desire to have something that belongs to someone else either to God or to neighbor, right? That's, that's kind of the, the base definition. Covetousness is a sinful desire to have something that belongs to someone else, either to God or to neighbor. Covetousness ultimately comes from having an ungrateful and discontent heart. The root of covetousness is ungratefulness and discontentment. In other words, we're basically telling God when, when we covet, when we want something that does not belong to us, when we, uh, when we are ungrateful about things, we're basically telling God, you are not providing for my needs and desires well enough. Or we're telling him, you are not providing for my needs or desires at all, right? If you think about it, when you covet something that is not yours, that doesn't belong to you, you are telling God, God, you are not that good. You are not as good as you say that you are because I feel like you are shortchanging me. I feel like you're not giving me the thing that I think I deserve, right? To help us think a little bit more deeply about this, uh, let me quote a couple of different um, brothers. One of them is Kevin DeYoung and the other one, I apologize because I, I do not know how to pronounce his last name, but his name is Thabiti something. And Anyabwil, sorry. I'll, I'll send you the name later, but... Uh, if you want, I can send you the name, but I'm, I'm quoting uh, these two brothers. And basically this is to help us understand covetousness a little bit more. This is Kevin DeYoung. He says, when we covet, we don't believe that God is big enough to help us or good enough to care. Our discontentment is an expression of how much more we think God owes us. And then Thabiti says, when we covet, 
what we're actually saying is that God has not apportioned his creation properly because he hasn't given us everything we desire. And so the heart in its fallen sinful way grasps for things that do not belong to it and seeks for things that actually belong on the other side of ownership to the neighbor or to God, right? So again, covetousness is coming out of a heart that is discontent, that is ungrateful, right? A heart that is telling God, God, you are not giving me what I think I deserve. You are not giving me what I think I need. God, you are shortchanging me. Now, covetousness is ultimately idolatry. And I'm not saying that just to be edgy or or shock you or anything like that. Like that's actually what the word of God says. Paul says in Colossians uh, chapter three, verse five, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry because it makes a God out of the desires that we have. Right, like I said, having, like I said earlier, having desires is not sinful, but when we desire things because we think that they will provide what only God can provide for us, it becomes idolatry. Right, when you are thinking, when you are desiring something and you think, if only I could have this thing, I would finally be satisfied. If only I could reach this goal that I have, then I will be finally happy. Right, think about it, I I wrote some examples here, but covetousness is basically saying, it becomes idolatry when we say, I would finally be happy or satisfied if only I had that car, or if only I had that house. I would finally be financially secure if I got that job and I wouldn't have to worry anymore. I would finally be free of any sexual temptation if I got married. I would finally be satisfied if my husband quit quit acting like a child or if he was more romantic or if he paid more attention to me. Covetousness or covetousness is idolatry when we say, why do I have this lame car and he has, you know, two nice cars or whatever? Why am I stuck in this stage of life and this other person already has you know, the, the dream job and, and a wife and a house and all of these things that I want. If only I could have those things, I would be truly happy, satisfied and fulfilled, right? That's, that's covetousness. And the problem with this is that we are expecting created things to do what only God can do, which is to bring joy and the, to bring the joy and the satisfaction that only God gives. And that's why covetousness is idolatry. We are expecting our desires of other things to fulfill the needs that only God can provide. Now, covetousness, as I was saying earlier, it's kind of a tricky sin in that, you know, some people might be thinking, oh, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't hurt anyone, right? It's only happening in my mind. It's only happening in my heart. And of course we know that it, it, hurts us and we know that it's a sin against God. But let me say that the the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, is actually a Pharisee killer. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that a Pharisee is someone who 
thinks that they obey God's law perfectly, right? They think that they, they, think that, uh, they could be justified by how well they have obeyed God's law. But the problem is that any Pharisee, when you get to the 10th commandment, that will get him. Nobody can say, can say I, you know, even if someone was so deceived to say, I've kept all commandments, when you get to the 10th one, nobody can stand. And that's basically what happened to Paul in, in Romans 7, right? He was a Pharisee, not, in the, in, not necessarily in the, pejor, in the pejorative way of being a Pharisee, but he was actually a Pharisee in that he belonged to the party of the Pharisees. He was someone that was raised obeying God's law and he thought he obeyed it perfectly. And maybe out, outwardly he did. Maybe outwardly he obeyed all of the first nine commandments. But in Romans 7, when he's talking about he, how he was convicted of sin, the one sin that he mentions is covetousness, right? Because that's the one that he, I mean, of course, when, when God saved him, he learned that he couldn't keep any of them. But I believe that covetousness was the sin that got to him every time. And now in Mark 7, and I'm gonna ask you to turn there, Mark 7, we have an example of another Pharisee, another man that thought that he could keep God's law perfectly and was stumped by the 10th commandment. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is the story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man. And so in Mark 17, sorry, Mark 10, verse 17, we read, and as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth, right? So there he is, a, a typical Pharisee saying, all of this, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, sorrowful for he had great possessions. And then Jesus goes around and talks about, you know, how difficult it will be for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But what is the point here? Even though, even though the 10th commandment is not mentioned explicitly here in this passage, the implication is that this man probably had kept all of the other commandments, at least to his standards, but he loved possessions more than he loved God. He had a sinful desire for something that ultimately belonged to God, right? He didn't understand that even the money that he had belonged to God. And, and, and that's, that's another layer of, of covetousness, right? Covetousness is not just uh, desiring something that we do not have, but covetousness sometimes takes the form 
of being greedy over the things that we do have. That's basically the point that, that James makes uh, uh, really throughout the entire letter uh, written by James. But the point is this, this guy thought that he was keeping the law, but the moment he was challenged with the 10th commandment, the moment he was challenged with, okay, what are, we, what are you gonna do with all the riches that you have? He went away sorrowful because he knew that he had broken that commandment. And so, I hope we have done a, a good enough job to show that all of us have broken God's law. But if by any chance there's anyone here thinking, you know what, I, I've done pretty good with all of the commands. If by any chance that's you, this command would, would get you right away, right? Because which one of us can say, oh, I've never in my life desired anything uh, uh, that I feel like is finally gonna make me happy, right? All of us. All of us at some point in our lives, in fact, multiple times in our lives, multiple times throughout the week, perhaps even multiple times during the day, have thought about fulfilling a sense of need that we have with something other than God. In this 10th commandment, I think it's fit fittingly at the very end of, of the 10 commandments because it shows us that ultimately, the problem that we have is in our heart, right? Ultimately, we cannot keep the 10 commandments uh, because even, even though we might be able to outwardly, you know, trick someone into thinking that we are keeping them, the problem is in our hearts. There, there were many codes of law around the time that the 10 commandments were given and, and, and many of them were similar to the one that, that God gave to the people of Israel and that they prohibited murder and things like that. But there was no single code that addressed the heart, right? But God's law, which is perfect, is basically telling us the problem is in your heart. It's not so much, I mean, yes, the problem is also with the things that you do, but out of your heart come all of your evil desires. And I think if we're honest, all of us just have to acknowledge that all of us are infected with this disease of covetousness, right? It's very easy for us, especially, well, I don't know, I'm talking from the perspective of a parent of young children. It's very easy for me to notice it in my kids. You know, it's very easy uh, in fact, it's kind of discouraging, you know, when you give them something really good or you think it's kind of good and then they go, ah, oh, you know, I didn't want that or that was too lame or it was too short or whatever, right? Or the typical, it's not fair, <laughs> right? <laughs> but here's the thing. It's so easy to notice in our children, but we don't notice it in our own hearts. And we're just like them. We're just better at hiding it, right? So, Again, I, I, I hope I'm making a case here that this is a big deal, but in case that someone might say, oh, this is not that big of a deal, let me just quote scripture. Let me just read uh, a few verses from scripture and, and hopefully show you the path of covetousness, hopefully show you how the path of covetousness leads to death. So Romans 1. Romans 1 is uh, a passage in which Paul is talking about the sinfulness of 
mankind, right? Basically, the point that Paul is making is that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so the one, one of the, I'm gonna quote a few verses from Romans 1. In Romans 1, 21, he addresses the root of our sin, which is ungratefulness, which is lack of thankfulness to God. He says in Romans 1, 21, he's talking about all humanity who, are, who have sinned against God, which is all of us. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. For they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when we covet, when we are not grateful, when we, uh, when we do not give God thanks for the things that he's given us, we start going down a path and we start by our minds being darkened, right? By us becoming fools, basically, and our minds becoming darkened. And then it leads to more darkening of our hearts, right? In verse 24, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So covetousness happens when we worship the creature rather than the creator, right? When we think that the creature is what, what's going to give us what we need, but ultimately God is the one who's gonna give us what we need. And then this led to more sin, verse 28 in Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is not a pretty list. And covetousness is named right there as one of the results of our lack of thankfulness to God. Let me read a couple more passages in James 4, verse 1. This the covetousness leads us to quarreling and fighting. He says, what, cause, what causes quarrels and what causes fighting, fighting, sorry, fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then the last, the last verse that I'm gonna read here, actually, sorry, I said the last one, but I have two more. <laughs> but, uh, two more verses to make the case that covetousness is a really big deal. First Timothy 6, verses six through 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then ultimately, once we've gone down this path of ungratefulness, of our hearts being darkened, of, of more covetousness, of desires, of desiring for our own passions, the end result is the wrath of God. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So again, covetousness is not a small thing. Covetousness is not a harmless sin. It is something that will ultimately end up destroying you. Being ungrateful or having a lack of contentment, they're not innocent, meaningless things. It is a disease that humanity is infected with. And so what is our hope? What is the answer? What is the antidote to this sickness that we all have as members of the human race? Well, the antidote is Christ, the living water, the one who, the one, the, the one who is always satisfying us. First of all, we need forgiveness, right? And we've made that case as we have talked about all of the commandments. We need forgiveness. We need to acknowledge that we have sinned against God. We need to acknowledge that we have broken his law and that the wrath of God is waiting for those who have disobeyed his law but we also need to remember the grace and love of God that sent his son, Jesus. And he lived the perfect life that none of us could have lived. Jesus lived a perfect life where he never coveted. He never had, or he never let any of his desires become sinful because Jesus as, as a full human, he had desires, but he never let them become sinful. He never engaged in the sin of covetousness. And then he went to the cross and he died the death that you and I deserved to forgive us from our covetousness, to forgive us from our adultery, from our murder, from our lying, from our idolatry, from all forms of sin against God and to declare us righteous before God. Think about that. The death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus washes those who come to him in, in, in repentance. And even though you were declared first, we were all guilty of breaking God's law. If you put your trust in Jesus, you are declared righteous. Not because of your merits, not because of your obedience, not because of how good you've kept the law, but because of how good Jesus kept the law. He kept it perfectly. So that's, you know, that's the antidote, but that's not it. There is more than that. We are forgiven of our covetousness because of Jesus' death on the cross, but he is the antidote for covetousness. Jesus himself is the antidote. And in order to talk about that, let me bring up uh, Stephen Curry. Do you know Stephen Curry? All right, he's a basketball player. He's really famous. He's really good. Uh, I do not keep up with basketball. So the only thing, one of the only things I know about Stephen Curry is that he has some, he has uh, basketball shoes and he wrote on them, 
I can do all things. And so this is a reference to uh, Philippians 4.13. I think he's written like different variations of this, but basically the verse is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I really don't know Stefan's motivation, but I do know that many people today think of that passage and say, oh, I can be whatever I want through Christ who strengthens me, right? I can be the best basketball player through Christ who strengthens me. I can do, you know, I can fulfill all my dreams, whatever I set my mind to do through Christ who strengthens me. Well, again, I don't know his motivation, so he's a good player. If you know him, if you like him, don't hate me. But the, the point is, the context of this passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is actually a context in which Paul is writing from prison. He is writing and he, is, he has been hungry. He has been cold, right? Remember in, in his letter to, his second letter to Timothy, he asks for his books and he asks for his blanket, right? Because he's cold. He's, he's been through awful things. And, and he's writing to the Philippians and the Philippians have renewed a, a support that they were giving him. In other words, they were sending him uh, money or food or a, a bunch of different things. And so he is thanking the Philippians and he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. This is Philippians 4, uh, verse 11. Not that, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I can be poor, and I can be okay with that because Christ is the one who strengthens me. I can be in prison, I can be hungry and cold, but I can do it because Christ is my strength. I can be, you know, I, I, I can be in any circumstance. I could be in abundance or in need, but Christ is the one who strengthens me. Christ is the all-sufficient source of joy satisfaction, enjoyment, provision, fulfillment, strengthening. Christ is enough. Those who come to him will never want again, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Those who drink from the living water that he offers will never be thirsty again. If you have Christ, you can live in whatever circumstance because he is your source of strength and contentment and joy and satisfaction. In John chapter four, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman and he asks her to give him water, to draw water from the well. And so she, she questions him, right? Because she says, okay, how is it that you, a Jew man, is asking water from a Samaritan woman? And Jesus' answer is very telling. And, and, and ultimately, Jesus' answer is the secret to, uh, uh, to defeating covetousness. Jesus answered him, John 4, verse 10. 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his, as did his sons in his livestock. And listen to Jesus's answer. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you struggle with covetousness? Do you struggle with ungratefulness, with discontentment? Come to Christ. Drink from the water that he offers. If you come to him, if you drink from the water that he offers, you will be able to defeat covetousness. You will be truly satisfied. He is the all-sufficient one. Seek what only he can give you. In, uh, sorry, if you seek what only he can give you in anything else, you will always be searching and you will be disappointed. But if, you, but if you seek Christ, seek the kingdom of God, seek his righteousness, you will always be satisfied and your needs will be provided always. Let's pray. God, please forgive us for our ungratefulness, for our lack of contentment. Please forgive us for seeking satisfaction in everything else other than you. There is absolutely nothing in this world that will satisfy us except from you, except you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we want to drink from this living water. Lord, we recognize that you are the only one who can fill the hole in our hearts. Help us to obey your law perfectly because you have satisfied us, Lord, because you are our portion. You are our shepherd. In your name we pray, amen.